When we begin uh, <clears throat> this Daily Savings Sunday, uh, with having you think a little bit, maybe wake up the mind, wake up your hearts, and take you back to your childhood. If you go back to your childhood, think about when you were a child, and think about what were some of the favorite toys that you played with. And if you're joining us online, I invite you to put those in the chat. Uh, write something in. Is it a toy, something you enjoyed playing with? Put it in the comments. Um, here in person, I don't do this often. We're getting interactive. Let's wake up. Yell some things out. What are some things you like to play with as kids? Who, who's, who's, who's willing to play? Lincoln Logs. Lincoln Logs. That's, man. What's that? Scooters. Scooters. What's that? Dolls. Dolls, yeah. Play-Doh. Play-Doh. What else? Come on. What's that? Big Wheel. Big Wheel. I got a story for you, Jay. That's another day. But good. What's that? Tonka Toys. Man. Polly Pockets. Nice. Legos. That's a cl- we'll stick with Legos. That's one of my favorite. Legos, right? Growing up, I have so many memories of sitting in my room just with countless Lego sets in front of me, putting together like spaceships, castles, airplanes. And one of my favorite things was, boy, what a special time where my dad and I sometimes would go down the hill to Blue Star Shopping Center when there was a Toys R Us there. Remember those days? That big Toys R Us and that whole aisle of Legos. I mean, for a little kid to walk down, eyes as big as this room, all the different Lego options into to Bring home yeah, a new spaceship, a new airplane, a castle. Open it up. Lay out the pieces. Pull out the instructions and start building that Lego set. So much fun. So much joy. Sometimes I tried to be a little bold. though, saying, I don't need the instructions. Right? I don't need the instructions. I'm just going to open. I'm going to start building it myself. And 100 out of 100 times, that didn't go well. Just didn't go well at all. And so what do I have to do? I have to pull it apart, put it back together, follow the instructions piece by piece. As I'm thinking about Legos, I just want to share a couple. My mind over there is thinking, how, how big are Lego structures? Who's built some of the biggest ones? And so I decided to do some searches, and, and I want to share a couple of them with you this morning just to, again, wake us up this morning as we move into this um, Daily Savings Time Sunday. So first, someone years ago built an actual house of Legos. His name is James May. He's a top gear engineering whiz, and around 2009, he actually built a real house house out of Legos. As you see that house, that house is made up of more than three million Lego pieces. Think about that. That took some effort. Next one is some, a couple fans of Lord of the Rings put together an actual uh, elven realm, uh, and, and it took over 200,000 Lego pieces to put that together. Uh, next one is, uh, I love this, is the Taj Mahal. To every single detail, right, we're looking at two, over 280,000 Lego bricks to put together an actual Taj Mahal. Number four, I love this, is a life-size X-Wing fighter. Right? An actual life-size piece. This is over 5 million Lego bricks, over 45,000 pounds is how much that weighs. I mean, for you Star Wars fans, that is worth the price of admission right there. So number five, last one is a full-size car. <laughs> right here is this Volvo XC90, right? This is outside of, uh, out in Colorado. Love it. Look at that. I mean, that looks as real as it gets. Um, think about the effort, the precision, what it took to build the, that actual life-size car. So that's one thing with Legos. I think about Legos and, and, and the effort it takes to put together things like that. But if you think about other tools, other machines, anytime something has to be put together, what does it entail? What does it require right, for it to be put together correctly so that it works and fulfills its purpose. I mean, it applies to machines, it applies to tools. It also applies to organizations. 
like companies or nonprofits. Think about military teams or even sports teams. I marvel at some of the sports teams who play well together, coaches who develop teams well and, and how they work together and how they function together. Um, as you think about organizational leadership, I, that just fascinates me. And if it applies to sports and the military and companies, how much more does it apply to the church? Do we think of it that way? And so the question I want us to think about today as we continue in our sermon series called Stir It Up is how has God designed and put the church together so that the church works and fulfills her purpose? Right, we began this series last week called Stir It Up and we looked at the prophet Haggai right, and how he, God used him to speak the word of God. The words were, I am with you. And God stirred up the spirits of the remnant of the people of God to join together, to come back together, to rebuild God's temple. And so we looked at and considered what that would look like, what that would mean in our lives for God to stir up our spirits in this time as we seek to escape the gravitational pull of this pandemic. And for us as a church to come join together to build up the people of God in our time. And so that was the Old Testament image of the temple where God's presence was, found, presence was found in a specific place. Today we're going to shift to the New Testament. In the New Testament, God's presence isn't so much found in a specific place, in a temple, but it's found in a specific people, God's people, the church family. And we're going to look at one of many images in the Bible in, in terms of what the church is. And as we do, I invite you to consider how has God designed and put the church together so that the church, the people of God, works and fulfills her purpose in the world. And look at it from that standpoint, but also then consider your role. Who is God calling you to be? What is he, God calling you to do within the church, within that family and team for God? And so today we're going to look at uh, the New Testament letter, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And so Ephesians is one of the letters in the New Testament written by the early church leader, the Apostle Paul. And he sent this letter to the churches in the region of the city of Ephesus. And as this letter was circulated and it came to different groups of Christians, they were reminded of the meaning and significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And the first half of the letter speaks to that, speaks to the good news of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did, and the meaning and significance of his life and death and resurrection. And the second half of the letter calls God's people to action in light of who Jesus is and what he did. And in that first half of the letter, it's very clear from the Apostle Paul that God was up to a new work, that it no longer was just for the Jewish people, but the non-Jewish people or Gentiles were brought together into one family. And with that one family would come tension because there were differences. And so God, through his word, called his people to unity and to come together and to figure out life together with his help. And so in light of that, God's call to unity, he describes this picture in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 4 about who the church is, how the church is put together. And with all these different diverse people, all the different experiences, how that church, that family, could fulfill her purpose in the world. And so in fact, as Mike shared, if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll look at verses 11 through 16 this morning. So I'm going to read it all the way through and then we'll go verse by verse unpacking the truths in each verse along the way. But again, as I read it through, consider how has God put the church together? How has he designed the church? And as God puts the church together and builds up the church, what that looks like, not only as a church, but for you individually. Starting in verse 11, we read this. So Christ himself gave the apostles 
the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, then, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, so here, here is God's word, and his truth speaks to, the, to the, the actual description of the church and how it's put together. And so here in the beginning, after, after describing the fact in the previous verses that Jesus who lived and was crucified, dead and buried, and on the third day was resurrected to life, and then later ascended to go back to be with the Father in heaven, that Jesus who made this great promise in the Great Commission, saying, I will be with you always to the very end of the age, fulfilled that promise, not by staying around physically forever, but by sending his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit was sent and given to the church, God's personal and powerful presence given to us. And so with that spirit, the Holy Spirit, came the gifts of God, spiritual gifts, sometimes in the form of talents and approaches, but then also people. And here in Ephesians chapter 4, we see specific individuals that are gifts that are given by Jesus for the church. And it's described in five roles. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right? And these roles are specific. Apostles, the ones who are sent. Apostle means sent one. An apostle is sent, and someone who establishes new church, builds up new church, reframes and helps churches flourish. A prophet is a truth teller, oftentimes calling people back to God's word, saying the hard truth that needs to be said, speaking into situations. Evangelists, those, those who proclaim the good news of Jesus and share the gospel everywhere they go and rally people to that gospel. Pastors or shepherds, there's another, another translation for there, that for pastors or shepherds are those who provide care and love for the community of faith and equip others to do the same. Teachers, teachers are needed, those who know the word of God, they know the truths of God, know theology, know understandings about God, and keep that before people, because in a world where we can be pulled in so many different directions, we need to know the truth as given by God in his word. So teachers, these five roles are gifts given to the church by Christ himself. And so for what reason? To do all the work of the church? Everyone else sits and watch? No, in verse 12 we read, it says, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ will be built up. So here we see this verse in verse 12. It pushes against any of the extremes that sometimes have been seen about the church. James Montgomery Voice, a, a pastor at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia for many years, in his commentary on Ephesians, refers to John Stott's book called One People. And it, he says in this verse, it pushes against some of the extremes that we've seen in the church over the years. One extreme is clericalism, meaning that the pastors do all the work. And some churches are saying, hey, the, the pastors are hired. They're the ones who do all the work. We, we sit back and watch. 
Right? That's one thing that's, that's turned away from this, this verse. That's, that's uh, uh, an untruth that is addressed. Another untruth that's addressed in this verse is, is anti-clericalism, meaning that pastors have no roles, that the people do everything and the pastors shouldn't do anything, and that, that in fact, some people could be anti-pastor, anti-leadership, or anti-authority. No, there's the room for both. And it also pushes against what John Stahl calls dualism, meaning that they're separate, that the, the pastors and leaders do one thing and the people do another, and they, they don't interact, they don't mix together. No, here we see both play together, that the, the ordained leadership, specifically pastors in these other roles, what, the role is to equip God's people to do the works of service and constantly be equipping and constantly helping and constantly training up God's people. For what? So that the body of Christ will be built up. Built up. And that's the title of this sermon. That's the focus. That not built up just in numbers, not just in size, but built up in terms of depth, in terms of maturity. And so as we look at the verses after verse 12, we see what Paul means about what it means for the church to be built up. Um, first, he says in verse 13 that, so the church will come to a sense of unity, unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. And so unity, not uniformity, not that everyone's exactly the same, recognizing that we have individual stories that God is restoring over time, but that there would be unity in faith, a faith in Christ, an understanding of who he is, what he's done. And that unity is not found in a good cause or in other things. Unity is found in Jesus and Jesus alone, faith in him. And not only faith in him, but knowledge of him, the Son of God. Coming to a deeper knowledge, personal knowledge, through shared experiences. And as that shared, those shared experiences increase, and people get to know Jesus more and more together, that there's greater and greater unity as they move towards him. So first, to be built up means to be built up in unity. Second, as we continue to read it, he says, and become mature, in verse 13. That if the, the body of Christ is to be built up, if the church is to be who God's called her to be, and to work and fulfill her purpose is to be a movement towards maturity. What's a mark of maturity? Think about a little child growing up and becoming a mature adult. There's, there's patterns, there's descriptions. How does that apply to both Christians and the church? Right? Some would say maturity is knowing the most information about God, right? Going to a lot of classes, reading lots of books that the people who have the most knowledge about God are the mature. That's somewhat the case. But remember, the Apostle Paul says, beware that sometimes knowledge puffs up and that pride can take root. So it's not necessarily who knows the most. Some would say it's those who care the most, right, whose hearts are the biggest. They're the ones who are the most mature. But they can, their, their empathy and their compassion could pull them away sometimes from the truths of God. And so if they, it's all about the heart but not about the head, it could go in a wrong direction. Others would say it's about serving. Right? It's about the hands, right? getting, getting your hands dirty, serving in the name of Christ, or just serving people in general. And there's good things from that, but apart from Christ, that could also go in all kinds of directions. To be mature, the Apostle Paul says, the phrase right after in verse 13, he says, attaining is one who attains to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? especially on Daylight Savings Time Sunday. That is a lot to take in. I mean, come on. Couldn't you pick an easier verse, like love God, love people? Right? No. <laughs> to be mature, to attain to the fullness, a whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The way to describe that is, is to become more and more like Jesus, to attain to the fullness of who he is, and that in your life, both individually and us as a church, together, 
to become more and more like Jesus, to attain to the fullness of who he is. Meaning that your life, who you are, you are constantly being worked on by God. If you are a follower of Christ, God's given you his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit is working on you to change you to become more and more like Jesus over time. As we surrender ourselves more and more to him, to his spiritual surgery on our hearts, we become more and more like Christ. And as we do, we exhibit the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, and patience, and more and more. So to become mature in Christ isn't just having the most information. It's not even the one who cares the most or the one who serves the most. It's ultimately the one who becomes more and more like Christ. The one who looks more and more like Jesus in all that he or she says, does, and even their attitudes. And so, so in essence, to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ means to become like Jesus. And so together, to be built up means not only as an individual to become mature, but also as God's people. That someone looks at New Promise Presbyterian Church and says, I look at that church and I see Jesus. I see the fruit of the Spirit. That church is loving. That church is joyful. That church is peaceful. That church is patient. And goes on in Galatians 5 in terms of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not just our individual lives, but us as a shared life together. And like that, the third aspect of being built up means that we're grounded in truth. And we see this in Ephesians 4, 14, right? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Here Paul says, look, you're no longer going to be like infants. Now, yes, Jesus speaks of children, says have a childlike faith, and, and there's positives to being, having that childlike faith, being open and in, open to God, innocent. But here Paul draws on a different picture. More like an infant, an infant who, infant doesn't know better. Infant is typically self-seeking. Just give me food. Give me comfort. And infants are easily distracted, and they're easily deceived. Especially little infants who become toddlers. I'm still just blown away by the whole peekaboo phenomenon. Right, just that how little children are incapable of understanding that from behind the hands, when you open up that, that's a surprise. And some of my favorite memories of my daughters growing up was doing peekaboo with them. I'm like, clearly they know I'm behind these hands, but they never did, right? And so for those of you who have young children or grandchildren, you know what I'm talking about. It's so incredible, right? But infants can be easily deceived. Here Paul's saying, be careful. We should no longer be like infants who are easily deceived, easily distracted, self-seeking and self-centered. Just give me food, give me milk, because those, those infants could be tossed back and forth by the waves of this world. And there's a lot of waves, like small rudderless ships out in a storm. That's not a picture of a mature Christian. Or one that's, that's, that's blown here there by the wind that's not grounded. Here Paul's saying it to, to be built up, we have to be grounded in truth. And we get that in verse 15, where he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. This idea of speaking the truth in love, lots of times that's, those words are actually sometimes taken out of context. Like, hey, I'm going to speak the truth in love. So I'm going to say something really brutal to you right now. I'm going to speak the truth wait, in love. Right? No, that's, it's like, I spoke the truth, but I did it lovingly. I did it lovingly. They need to hear it. And there's some aspects of that, but here, actually, in the context of this passage, the word speaking the truth 
I'm going to go grammatical here on you for a little bit. In Greek, it's a participle. And so really, a literal wooden translation would be truthing in love, meaning living out the truth. And so speaking is a lot more than talking, right? Actions speak louder than words, right? We heard that. I've heard that since I was probably two years old, probably when my dad was playing peekaboo with me. But the fact that, the fact that sp- it, it, actions speak louder than words. So truthing in love. That's what Paul's talking about. Live out the truth. Put it into practice. Have it go to be a lot more than what's in your head, but live it out. And it's all those pieces together, right? The head, the heart, and the hands all together because Christ is the source. And as we do that, as we're connected to him, and truth is not just an idea. Truth is a person. Jesus says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. So as we're connected to truth, we're connected to Jesus, and we're connected to him who is the source. So finishing up in verse 16 in terms of what it means to be built up, Paul says, from him, the whole body, from Jesus, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is where it all comes together. As we remain connected to Christ, as we look to mature, as we look to be built up, not in size, but in depth and maturity, we grow together and we're built up together. And the body of Christ builds itself up in love. As Paul says these important six words, as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Meaning, as each person who's a part of a church exercises their faith, as they put it into practice, as they take what they've learned, and they, but you have to learn, and then you have to put it into practice and put it into practice consistently. It's like exercising a muscle. And how appropriate now is we're seeking, again, to escape the gravitational pull of this pandemic where so many of the disciplines and habits that we've had is if you've been a follower of Christ, it's it's been so easy to fall out of practice. Whether it's reading scripture, whether it's praying, serving others, serving with the church. There's a wide variety of ways, aspects of putting your faith into practice. In many ways, like physical muscle atrophy, when you don't use your muscles and they start to waste away or and to become weakened. I believe all of us, including me, coming out of this pandemic, we are battling not just, not physical muscle atrophy, but relational and spiritual. That we haven't practiced relational exercises. And even being here, if you're here in person, it takes a little extra work. Not just because it's daylight savings time Sunday, but it takes extra work to be around people. Maybe it's just me. I know sometimes when I'm around large crowds recently, I'm like, wow, I, I... I need to build up these muscles. And if that applies relationally, it definitely applies spiritually. I, think, I believe all of us, to different extents, have spiritual muscle atrophy, where we need to put into practice, we need to exercise our muscles again. And it takes commitment to do that. And so as we consider all this, as we think about what Apostle Paul said here about the church, how the church is put together, so that the church works and fulfills her purpose, we see a picture here in Ephesians 4. Because I believe that God is seeking to stir up the spirits, our spirits, to exercise our faith in Christ again. And as we continue in this sermon series called Stirred Up, I think this passage does that. It speaks to truthing in love, putting into practice what we've learned. And that, that takes that first step of actually putting ourselves in a place to learn, to learn about God, learn about his ways. And then not just have it stay up here and not just impact here, but make its way out here into our hands as we serve together. And so what does this mean for us today? Again, this is how God has designed the church. 
that he's called people like me and people like Mike and our elders and deacons to equip you, the people of God, for works of service. And so we have a role. We have specific gifts that God's given us, and our role is to equip you, like a good coach, a good trainer, a good mentor, to come alongside and say, I see this in you. Here's where you can serve. Here's where you can exercise your gifts. Here's where you can put your faith into practice. Here's how you can learn more about God. Here's how you can learn to relate to others in a more Christ-like manner. And here's how you can serve both one another, our community, and the world. It's all works together. And as all, comes, all the deep pieces come together, as we use our heads, our hearts, and our hands, all three, not just one, not even just two, but all three, the body of Christ is built up, strengthened. Exercise, muscles are utilized, relational, spiritual muscles. And together, the body of Christ is strengthened to live out her purpose in the world. And so as you consider all this, I want to give you one thing to remember and one thing to do and some questions for reflection. One thing to remember is this, that God equips his people so that the body of Christ may be built up and all members may become more like Jesus as they exercise their faith together. Again, back to that cryptic statement at the end of verse 14, or attaining to the whole measure, the fullness of Christ. As we exercise our faith, the more that we exercise our faith, the more that we spend our time in God's word, the more we pray together, as we serve together, we become more like him together. One thing to do over all this is to decide, take a moment to pray about this in a moment, is to decide today, maybe again, to exercise your faith in Christ as a way to let God bring your faith back to life and to renew your relationships in the church. I believe it's like looking at a situation where if you haven't exercised in a long time and someone says, hey, let's go for a run. Let's go for a walk. Or someone says, go to the gym, and you're like, should I do it? Do I really want to do that? But then you do. And you utilize those physical muscles. And you know that's where healing comes. So much of us want healing. We prayed for it before. Colleen prayed for healing for us. But healing doesn't come by sitting in a chair and doing nothing. Physically, when you get moving and you're exercising, that's when the, bo- the blood flow moves and the body is healed. The body of Christ, both individually and together, as we exercise our faith, you want to experience deep healing. Let's exercise. Let's get busy. And not just get busy for busy's sake, but do the work of God for the glory of God. Some questions for reflection to go deeper into it. Um, in some ways, before we jump in the questions, are commit to the following in terms of an exercise program. Just these are basics. This is nothing new. Consider what it means, and I would say from now until Easter, to consider what it means to pray and read the Bible daily. And say, hey, we're already a couple weeks into what historically has been called Lent, right, moving up to Easter. So we're already a couple weeks in, but it's not too late to start. Just carve out, say, five minutes or ten minutes. And say from now, every day it's going to take a little bit of time to pray and to read scripture. Um, pick one of the Gospels. Pick a shorter letter in the New Testament. If you're bold, go for Leviticus. I wouldn't start there. But go, go with something. Just even start with five minutes, ten minutes. Even if your prayer is, God, I'm here today. I praise you for who you are. Thank him for something and ask him for help. And then read something. Just do something small. Get those muscles moving again. Um, participate in the weekly worship service. Here in person, if you're out of town or can't come or don't feel comfortable yet coming, join us online. Good to see you through the camera. Whatever it takes, engage with God's word together. Right? Engage in a group or a class. 
As we continue to stand up, more groups and classes, those that have been meeting virtually, some are meeting in person again, others continue to meet virtually. Go to our website, find a group or class. Don't try and take on the faith in Christ alone. Number four, help in a ministry area. I talked about this last week. We'll continue driving towards that in the weeks ahead, especially in the weeks going forward. Consider an area of ministry in our church and how you can help. Continue to support our church financially. There's something about giving financially to something where Jesus said, where your treasure is, your heart is also. As you give financially, that awakens the spiritual muscles. Last, pray for and invite others to participate as well. Who else can come and be a part of what God's doing? Some questions for reflection. Now we'll get to the questions. One is, what is something in your life that was built correctly and fulfilled its purpose and why? And in contrast, what wasn't and why? Think about something, again, it could be a tool, a machine, something that was, that was built correctly and actually worked. I could give you stories of a lot of things I've built that didn't work. That's for other sermons, right? But what, what, what are those things? And what was it about that that they fulfilled their purpose? Then specifically going number two, what are some ways that God has put together the body of Christ, meaning the church, based on the passage we've read and considered today? I invite you to reread that passage in the days ahead and consider the workings of the church. Number three, how is God specifically inviting and stirring you to exercise your faith in Christ with New Providence Presbyterian Church? Consider those questions this week. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, do praise you and thank you for your word. Your word which is living and active. Your word which is inspired by you and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Pray, Lord, that you would train us up, that you would invite us Uh, Invite us back, Lord, to exercising our faith, both individually and together. God, you know where we need encouragement. You know where we need help. Give us the grace to move forward and move forward again. God, show each person at least one step of what that looks like. Starting today, looking towards tomorrow and this week. Help us to begin exercising our faith again, Lord, and doing so trusting and believing that your work in our life will bring the healing and help that will continually restore us to become more like Jesus. We give ourselves to you. We look to you. Do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.